Hi, I'm Trip. I spent the first part of the 21st century as a film snob, rejecting any sort of mainstream comedy. And I'm Ross. I'm slowly, film by film, taking Trip through the films he sadly dismissed or smartly avoided until now. Welcome to A Trip Through Comedy, a podcast examining studio comedies from around the turn of the century. Trip, our exit today has us trying to stay sane while working air traffic control. Our film is Pushing Tin, written by Glenn and Les Charles, based on an article by Darcy Frey, and directed by Mike Newell. The film centers on Nick Falzone, played by John Cusack. His life seems pretty perfect. He's the best at his job as an air traffic controller in the New York area, and he's married to his high school sweetheart, Connie, played by Kate Blanchett. But his life becomes upended when a new, uh, new controller blows into town. That man is Russell Bell, played by Billy Bob Thornton. Russell not only is Nick's equal at his job, but he may even be better. Each seems to be pushing the other one to their breaking point. This becomes heightened when Nick ends up sleeping with Russell's wife, Mary, played by Angelina Jolie. This decision leads both men to spiral in different ways. Nick's life is, in particular begins to wholly unravel. He believes his own wife is having an affair with Russell and is convinced that Russell's trying to mess with every aspect of his life. Connie eventually finds out about his cheating and decides to leave Nick. Furthermore, Nick's job becomes in serious jeopardy after he almost causes two crashes in the span of 30 minutes. At his rock bottom, Nick seeks out Russell, who has moved to Colorado to escape to New York. Russell helps Nick get back his mojo while admitting that he fled New York because he reached a point where he was either going to kill Nick or cause an accident in the sky. Nick, now having regained his mojo, is able to do his job again and starts to win his wife back. So Trip, did you find that this movie was able to keep you engaged or did it crash and burn? The movie kept me engaged. I watched it fine, but last week I joked that I had no idea what this movie was about, but I was sure hijinks ensue, and I kept waiting for the hijinks, and nothing ensued. It is a fine, comforting watch, but nothing... You just talked about a whole lot of plot points, but even for all of those, it feels like nothing really happens in this movie. It just is all kind of on, like, one constant plane for the whole movie. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. This is a movie made by a whole lot of very talented people. There's a yep. lot of talented people up and down this this. Oh, film. I want to talk about that, Ross. <laughs> and, and we very much will. And for all of that talent, it feels like a pretty meh movie. And it yeah. just kind of, it, it's like, it's fine. It's not anything that I would, you would think with this amount of talent and where they all were in their careers, that this movie would be much better than it actually is. So going into this movie, and I, I did not see this in 1999. Had you told me it was the only movie ever written by the Charles brothers, I would have been their opening night. <laughs> Glenn and Les Charles are, to me, comedy royalty. They were writers and producers on Taxi. They also wrote for all sorts of other 70s sitcoms. They later went on to create Cheers. To me, maybe the greatest TV show ever. Through my childhood, I was obsessed with both of those shows. 
along with Mary Tyler Moore, which they wrote one episode of, Mary and the Sextagenarian, which is phenomenal. Um, they're credited as creators on Frasier. They didn't have a whole lot to do with that, but mostly because of the, the character. But the they wrote maybe two of the best episodes of television ever. And that is the pilot of Cheers and the taxi episode, Reverend Jim, A Space Odyssey, which is famous to everyone for the yellow light scene. These are wonderful people. I was really excited when I saw their name on this movie at the beginning. And what I can best describe this movie as is a pilot for a sitcom that never went anywhere. Because you know when you go back and you watch early episodes of like a great TV show and it just feels like, oh, there's something here, but they haven't really gotten the characters right. You know, like it takes half a season for us to really figure out who each of the people at the bar are or who each of these people and give them some sort of roundedness. That's here. Like you see the beginnings of something here with these characters but it just never goes anywhere at all well oddly enough a a show that did have a bit of a crossover with cheers was wings which i guess is is the funnier version well the more comedic version of something like this as a small Mm -hmm. airport in nantucket uh is wings and the people that kind of run this small airline this is just the people at the air traffic control but yeah i mean look i'm with you on cheers cheers is unbelievable of a sitcom and a true brilliant way that it balances at times really great humor and heart and serious elements too and so and you see that in this movie right like this movie balances those really well but it's not able to do either of those quite well. But I wonder, I went back this morning and I read the original article this is based on. It's called Something's Got to Give. Uh, It ran in the mid-90s in the New York Times, like you said, by Darcy Frey. And in that, you can read that and you can see why someone wanted to take this idea and turn it into a movie. And none of these people are there, right? But the whole thing describes what life is like in an air traffic control and how each of these people have their own little quirky way of dealing with the stress of the job. And in there is one guy likes to sing and one guy likes to tap his pencil in a certain way. And you see kind of, oh, this is all of these quirky people in a really high stress situation. It reads as a sketch of maybe we should make a TV show out of this because you could see where the day in and day out lives of these people is interesting. And so I wonder if somehow that got turned into a movie and they just couldn't really capture that magic. Look, I think if you cast like Stephen Root running this, mm-hmm. <laughs> running this air traffic control place, right? You have Ted Danson as the John Cusack kind of character. I think we've got the startings here of a great sitcom that never ma- yeah. got made in the mid '90s. But yeah, I mean, you have the Charles brothers, obviously, who or the Charleses that actually you know write this, right? But you also have mm-hmm. Mike Newell, who is an immensely accomplished director who has. 35 years already of of directing things at this time and is coming off of Donnie Brasco at this time. But he's also only about five years removed from one of the best comedies of the 90s in Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is fantastic. And Mm -hmm. you, you know, you look at him and you do wonder if, so obviously he can write and direct, not write, that was written by Richard Curtis, but he can direct a 
comedy, right, that balances that kind of, you know, very funny moments and very serious elements really well. But I don't think the script is there for him in this. And and a really great ensemble comedy, too, for Weddings yeah. and a Funeral is, right? Like, when you think of that movie, Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell aren't even the people I think of because you have so many other wonderful little characters. And no one here gets the room to kind of breathe. You have these wonderful character actors kind of all around the air traffic control room. At the beginning, you start to see a little bit of who each of them is, and then they all just become very one note. They disappear. Um, and I kept waiting for them to, yeah, and to blossom a little bit more. Because I think the movie is at its best when it's in that room and when you get that camaraderie amongst this group, when it becomes a workplace comedy or a workplace dramedy. Yeah. I think once the Billy Bob Thornton character gets inserted, right, and then it becomes more about this rivalry between John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton, which I would actually argue this movie does a very terrible job. From like the moment they see each other, they seem to be like not liking each other. Why? I don't know. There doesn't seem to be any sort of like real like reason for them not to like each other other than I don't know. They're competitive people, I, I guess. Billy Bob Thornton cut him off in traffic. So obviously, like, that's going to be a grudge that, that holds. And the movie has no concept of what Russell's character is. I feel like kind of scene for scene, it keeps changing up exactly what sort of person he is. There's no consistency. It relies solely on Billy Bob Thornton's charisma. And you have Billy Bob Thornton kind of at the height of that you know, post sling blade, uh, Armageddon, kind of the height of his just, I'm going to be a charismatic movie star oh, here. Oh, yeah. And that's what carries all of this throughout the movie. Well, and John Cusack too, right? This is yeah. kind of John Cusack and his most charismatic here too. And I think is really good in this movie. Absolutely. As I mean, the both hot of them, shot. Yeah. Both of them are, are kind of in big parts of their career, right? So for, for John Cusack, this year he will do Cradle Rock. And probably most importantly, he is going to be in Being John Malkovich, which, I mean, again, fantastic movie. The year before, he's in The Thin Red Line. Thin Red Line, obviously, Terrence Malick movie. And in the 90s, he's doing a lot of these kind of very interesting, you know, he comes off of the 80s where obviously he is a huge teen star, right? He's doing stuff like Say Anything. He's doing stuff like Better Off Dead. He's kind of this teen star. And then he goes into the 90s and he's doing stuff like The Grifters and The Player and Bullets Over Broadway. He's even like two, you know, two years earlier doing Con Air, right? And Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Billy Bob Thornton is coming off of 1998 where he's doing Primary Colors, Homegrown, Armageddon, and A Simple Plan. Oh, he's so good in A Simple Plan. Oh, that movie's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so like you have two people who are in these very inter- doing very interesting movies during this time period and each have their own great charisma and for some reason this movie can't figure out how to necessarily harness both of them to really kind of move this movie in a better direction. Yeah, because there's no real definition to them. It seems like, you know, if this was a TV show, in six episodes, they would figure out these two characters and this rivalry, and it would be a joy to watch, right? But it feels half-baked throughout 
a lot of this. And speaking of charisma, though, we have to talk about Angelina Jolie because she wanders into this movie as Billy Bob Thornton's wife. And it is a movie star turn. Like sometimes it's easy to forget just how great of a screen presence she is, but she is definitely younger than all of the other wives. And it is just a funny, sexy performance. And she, Anytime she's on screen, she controls this movie. Oh, absolutely. Angelina Jolie, who herself is going to have a... This is a big year for Angelina Jolie. She does this. She does The Bone Collector with Denzel. And most importantly, is in Girl Interrupted, which wins her the Oscar the next year. She is absolutely so charismatic, so just completely... I would actually argue a completely different energy than most of the other people in this movie. And there's a reason why there's a, her introduction comes at a party that is being held at one of the other air traffic controllers houses. And they invite Russell because it's like, ah, you know, we're inviting everybody. And she shows up and everyone at this party immediately looks at her and she is like a whole different world suddenly has opened up for every one of them. Uh, She absolutely is a, such a, so charismatic so unbelievably draws everybody to her and also seems to be in every scene with billy bob thornton to a level where you're like do they need a room like should we all leave yeah we'll leave i mean we should point out right this is the movie that they meet on she and billy bob thornton have quite the love affair for the next three or four years uh involving all sorts of making out on red carpets and getting out of limousines at award shows to announce that they have had sex in the limousine on the way there to wearing lockets on necklaces with each other's blood in them. Like they become quite the tabloid fodder. And so this is the movie that of course starts all of that. But um, it's, it's hard sometimes to think like 1999, She's fourth build in this movie, right? Like she is just kind of emerging. I feel like I kind of knew who she was and then Girl Interrupted, she just kind of explodes when she wins that Oscar and gets a little too close to her brother at the award show. I don't know. Like it's, she definitely though, she is on the verge of becoming a a huge star here. Absolutely. And, you know, the other person who is obviously in there who plays, uh, John Cusack's wife is Kate Blanchett, who herself mm-hmm. is following up her own Oscar nomination. She gets nominated for Elizabeth, uh, which comes out the year before. So she is right on the heels of her mm-hmm. Oscar nomination. This year, she's going to be in An Ideal Husband, The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is a yeah. great performance and a great movie. And I, I kind of always forget this. She's a voice in Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> like, so why oh, not just my. add that? Didn't even didn't even remember that, but um, yeah. and again, someone who like when Elizabeth came out, no one knew who she was. Like she seemed to, in so many ways, just come out of nowhere. So it's interesting you kind of have both of these women who are just right at the moment where they are exploding. Kate Blanchett is fine in this movie. Like there's, I don't exactly understand why she was cast in this role, and it is a very underwritten role, you know. Two or three years later, there's no way that she's doing this movie. Yeah. But, you know, as she kind of, as maybe her first Hollywood venture, um, she's fine. It's it's a really nothing part. 
it's it's probably because again you look at the people involved and you're like yeah sure why not but yeah this yeah. is a movie that has nothing for her to do and she's no. she's making the best of what she can but yeah mm-hmm. it just you don't she's, hate she's, her in this movie. she's very good as stuff gets more dramatic and she and John Cusack start to split um you know obviously Kate Blanchett not a bad dramatic actress and can carry some of those some of those scenes there for herself. You know, Kate Blanchett kind of good at acting. This is the hottest <laughs> take this podcast will have. Kate Blanchett kind of good at acting. Um, yeah. um so- but I mean, but it is also interesting for this movie and just thinking down the road, like John Cusack is definitely a comedy actor, right? I think we think of him as a comedy star more than anything else. But Angelina Jolie, Kate Blanchett, even Billy Bob Thornton, these are not actors we're going to be talking about over and over and over again in studio comedies, right? These are much more indie actors, more dramatic actors, I think. They're going to pop up here and there. I know that. But, you know, this is not a movie that is uh, centered around what I would think of as, you know, kind of our bigger name comedic actors. Maybe it needed that a little bit more. Although I think that all three of them are very funny. Billy Bob Thornton especially um, is very funny in this movie. But oh, oh, Trip, just you wait till the mid-2000s and we get the Billy Bob Thornton comedies. Because there are, they exist. And there oh, is, yes, they do. I mean, definitely. But, you know, um, <laughs> this is not the... These are not the sort of sitcom type actors who I think you would think of no. as... No, and yeah, it's definitely a very, you know, again, because it is kind of like a comedy drama, like it is a bit of a dramedy, but Mm -hmm. you do kind of wish that there was this kind of zanier version of this movie, as we talked about, that's like a sitcom that the Charleses kind of create, that's like a Cheers at an air traffic controller, the, you know. Like, the opening of the movie, the first time we're in the air traffic control, and the camera's kind of going through all the people working there, and you see the different ways that each of them are dealing with the stress, you know? The one girl has, like, a, one of those, like, stress cruncher things in her hand. John Cusack is always singing. Like, and it's like, oh, okay, we're going to get into, like, each of these people. It's going to be this wacky group. And then they all just kind of fall into one-dimensional pieces and move through. Yeah, I was going to say, that was Vicki Lewis, who, again, as required since we mentioned Stephen Root, uh, News Radio. She is on News Radio for for several seasons um, on that show. And George Costanza's secretary? On Seinfeld, I believe, uh-huh. in a couple episodes. So See, I know she's a girlfriend in there in there somewhere. Yeah, Michael Malley pops up. I mean, there's a bunch of people that are more sitcommy people. Kurt Fuller, mm. right, in the, the yeah. background. So But they uh, don't give him really enough to do. No, 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 they really don't. And those are the people that would be on a like a sitcom that like are yeah. the people that are like it's like, oh that again, wanna go with that one. So so yeah. Trip, who do you find is the supporting turn that you really wanted to highlight. There was one of those guys in the air traffic control who um, I enjoyed every time he popped up. Um, It's Michael Willis, who's a character actor I'm not overly familiar with. He plays Pat, the boss, kind of the put-upon boss. If you want to think in Glenn and Les Charles sitcom world, he reminds me a lot of Kenny the Boss on Frasier. He has a couple scenes. They're very funny. He's funny whenever he's in there and the way that everyone else treats him and just felt a little more dimensional than some of the other people in that air traffic control. Uh, What about you? Who stuck out for you in this movie? 
I mean, we already talked about her, but it, it, to me, it's Angelina Jolie. I, I, they're so hard not to watch this movie and come away with just being like, this person's a star. This And this mm-hmm. is like a part that I can imagine done by a lesser actress has nothing or doesn't have the yeah. same thing. She is able to do this part, which is got a whole bunch of things going on and makes it feel like a real person. And I, and again, she is so charismatic. Every time she's on screen, you're like, oh my gosh, wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like so different. She, she explodes off the screen in a way very similar that she's going to do in Girl Interrupted later in the year, right? Where she yeah. just, it feels like she was born for the big screen here. So Absolutely. she is, she's, she's wonderful. Um, I think we are both a little disappointed in this, but is there anything you uh, you found especially funny in this movie? Uh, I did. There is a running thing about this that talks about the fact of how stressful this mm-hmm. job really is. And there's a lot of talk about how people sometimes, you know, they break. They break at this job and need to like kind of work their way back. And there's a sequence in which we meet a air traffic controller who's clearly been out due to the fact that he has had the, some sort of psychotic issues or, and some mental health issues and is trying to come back to work. And they all call him Dr. Freeze, who is played by the unbelievably talented character actor John Carroll Lynch, who is yeah. it? is a fantastic actor. And by the way, they don't need him for this part. He literally pops up once in this movie, but they take bets as to how far he he's going to get in. And there's like this whole thing and he gets out of his, he's psyching himself up in the car and he gets to the door and he's like touching the door and he can't open the door and he just goes back to his car and they all start exchanging money. But the best part of the scene to me is the stinger is that he's going back to his car. And at this point, John Cusack is talking with another person and they see him and they go, oh, so how'd you do? And he goes, oh, it's great. I actually got to the door this time. He's like, oh, well, that's great, buddy. You're yeah. doing a good job. You're getting there. He's like, he I know. And it's suddenly like, it goes from mm-hmm. being a scene kind of making fun of him to actually, oddly enough, being very kind of comically sweet about like, he's making progress. This is going well. It is, and that's where the promise of this movie comes out, right? In the way that when you see that group of camaraderie, right? And this group that understands air traffic control in real life is a very stressful job. To go through that job, there is a lot of mental illness and a lot of issues that that go on with that job. And the movie toes a very good line, I think, about how they have fun with it while also showing that it is a serious issue throughout. And I wanted more of that camaraderie, right? I love that scene that you you pointed out. And John Carroll Lynch is so good in that scene. Well, the funny thing is, is there's there's a part during that house party where they say they've invited Russell and John Cusack makes like some comment of like, oh, you know, it's just going to throw off the whole balance of our entire group, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? And it kind of is true. Like this movie yeah. takes like such a turn and is so mm-hmm. good in the first like 15 minutes of the, all of them interacting with each other. And then when, yeah. when he does come into the movie, it completely changes everything. I would say for I the worse. I, and it reminded me in some ways of, of office space in that way that like when the movie is just them hanging out in the office, I enjoyed it a lot more. And it's almost like, can we just get a hang movie here where we don't need to worry about layering on plot here, you know, Absolutely. Um, office space, 
much better movie than this. I will point out for all of you who have sent me nasty messages because I didn't get give Office Space five stars. <laughs> Believe me, Office Space still better than Pushing Tin. Um, I want to highlight. So there's all of this right mystery around Billy Bob Thornton throughout this movie and where he comes from and what he has done. And there's lore that he has stood under a 747 as it has landed. And then they show a video of him doing this, which is so funny. He starts out making plane noises and acting like a plane and then stands under the jet as it lands and then you just see what looks like, you know, when the Muppet show would let you know that this is like a Muppet and they would just fling it around and do things that in no way a human could do. That's what happens to the dummy playing Billy Bob Thornton in this as the plane lands and he just goes flopping all over the screen. Uh, again, Pat the boss, who I pointed out, has watched this like 20 times and it was a great f- very funny little visual gag. As I think I'm learning through all of this, uh, I always will gravitate towards the slapstick humor. And uh, that that was one moment that, that stood out to me there. By the way, our two hottest takes of this podcast so far, Kate Blanchett, kind of good at acting, and Office Space is a better movie than Pushing Tin. Pushing Tin. We <laughs> We're really getting hot takes here today. Um, the Billy Bob Thornton video, that... So you described it like a Muppet. To me, it looked like one of those really bad, low-budget, like, it didn't even look real. It looked like that didn't happen to him. It literally looked like a clip art kind of thing of, like, like bad special effect. (laughs) And it was Uh, like... And then then they call back to it later, not to spoil the ending of the movie, with the worst CGI I have ever seen in my life. That almost, again, comically makes it even better there. It looks like a late night show, like something Conan would have done, where it's like him in front of a green screen that they've just like digitally put like, it's like, oh! And I was like, this is, and I and when I was watching the movie, I was like, is that the joke? That it didn't actually happen and that they've just like put, like did that in the video? Yeah, and or I kept they, waiting, like, did he like somehow replace himself with a crash test dummy or something? But and then, nope, I think he really did it. And then at the end of the movie, when it happens and they do it with in real, as if it's real, with yeah. him and John Cusack, and the movie looks like they did the same thing to both of them. I was like, oh no, this is real. Yeah. This is just bad. Yeah. It <laughs> oh, is, it is man. something. So, but I think the movie knows that it's, that's bad. So, at oh least, yeah. At least oh yeah. Um, what did you find as your unfunniest moment? We use this moment of unfunniest moment, I think, a lot to call out these movies on jokes that have not aged well and choices that were made that should not have been made. And so there are a couple moments in this movie that have not aged well that are no fault of the movies, I want to say. I think that it is just a sense of timing. Um, This is a movie about airports and flights in 1999. It starts with shots of the Twin Towers and airplanes flying dangerously close to the World Trade Center, which made me really uncomfortable at first. Like, it brings back some some really painful imagery there. Again, not their fault, right? That just, that's how it is. And then there's a scene that I think is a very good scene and I think is actually constructed really well where... John Cusack is on an airplane trying to get to the pilot to tell him he believes Billy Bob Thornton is messing with the flight, but it's he's trying to storm the cabin. They are holding him back from storming it. 
obviously something that in today could not happen at all, right? And so it's a fine scene, but just post 9-11 plays very differently, I think, and really took me out of the movie. So again, I don't want to call the movie out in a way that we've called a lot of other movies out for, you know, the sorts of jokes that they are telling. It's just a sign of the times that there's a lot in this movie that two years later they could not have done. Yeah, I, I agree. It There's nothing that I found super unfunny. This is just an unfortunate thing for this movie that two years later mm-hmm. will be 9-11. And so a yeah. lot of the stuff about plane crashes, and they work in the, the New York area. This is an mm-hmm. air traffic control that deals with all three airports around the New York area, LaGuardia, JFK, and Newark. And it is definitely... Again, it's stuff that how could anybody know that this is what's yeah. going to happen in the world? So it's mm-hmm. it's not really fair to to basically like attack the movie for it because how would you know? It just it's yeah. watching it in a 2023 lens going, "Ooh, yeah, this feels yeah. really I mean, and that now. that opening shot of the movie looks like the shot of a plane of the first plane crashing into the World Trade Center. Like it's shot from a very similar angle and the look only the plane just passes by it on its way to the airport. Again, you yeah, know, just really close in Manhattan airspace that as a person who lives in Manhattan is like, "Whoa, why are those planes that close? That is not a yeah, not a that good is, idea." Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a little odd. So, yeah. Um, so, Trip, our audience has now heard what we think. It's now time for, I'm, I only assume, is their favorite part of the home version of this, um, which of is, of course, it is to where we talk about the critic and audience reception to this. So, Ron Tomatoes, obviously, looks at numerous, they have 67 critic reviews in general okay. uh, of this movie. What do you think the critic's average of Pushing Tin is? Like, I can't imagine anybody hating this movie. I can't imagine people really loving this movie. It would seem to me like kind of a a middle movie, one of those right around the crest of, is it fresh or is it rotten? So I'm going to guess that we're at like, I'm going to put us right at 60%. You are much kinder to this movie than critics. Uh, It is 48% uh, critics on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Just a couple people here. David Anson of Newsweek said, It's frustrating to see such a promising premise and a and such a delightful cast wasted. Fair. Yep. And Roger mm-hmm. Ebert, though, gave it three stars. The movie is worth seeing for the good stuff. I'm recommending it because of the performances and the details in the air traffic control center. Definitely. And that is something that I wrote down. Like, this movie takes a very technical job, and I understood what was happening at all times in that air traffic control. And anytime they were using the jargon, like, I still was able to follow that. I think it does a really good job with all of that. Um, so I could also see this as playing much better to me in 2023 when I watched this uh, on a Sunday morning, you know, with my coffee, then maybe it would have on the big screen in a year like 1999, where you're seeing, you know, Hollywood kind of shift all around you. And absolutely. Um, maybe the, the, the 70s and 80s sitcomness of it doesn't carry over as well. Yeah. So the good people, the users of Letterboxd, they also have, you know, given and put in tons of ratings. What do you think is the average rating for Pushing 10 on Letterboxd? Again, I'm going to say it's like right down the middle, right? Is this like a 2.5? Like maybe I'm close. overestimating it again, but. No, you're actually underestimating it. It's a 2.8. Okay. It's a 2.8 okay. average. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it seems like people, the good people of Letterboxd users seem to like it a little bit more than critics, but in general yeah. seems to be kind of a, you know, mixed if reviews. It, if it came on TBS, I might stay and watch a little bit of it, depending on what part of the movie we're in. But yeah, Absolutely. Not, not rushing out to see it there. So Trip, normally here we would do what came out that weekend and what you may have been doing, but uh, Pushing Tin came out the same weekend as our movie that we did last week, Lost and Found. So we already talked about this. So, so we talked about it. So listen back to last week. Uh, <laughs> we talked a lot about how wonderful Election is. So, yeah, um, go see Election yes. or go see Existence too. It's a little harder to find. Yeah. Um, but hey, can you really go that wrong with watching David Cronenberg? Uh, the answer is no. So, so Trip, what would you pick as a movie then to pair with Pushing 10. So I think we both agree this movie is best as a workplace comedy. Um, And there is a real joy in watching people do their job really well. And that's what I loved about this. And so I kind of went the route, like, what are some other movies that do that really well? And I came to Broadcast News from 1987, James L. Brooks, another guy who has worked with the Charles brothers quite a bit, another sitcom person who transitioned into movies um, and a really great newsroom movie. It does the romantic comedy much better than this movie does, um, but also just shows people really good at their jobs. Um, And just one of the great kind of 80s comedies that is out there. Um, And so I can't recommend, I know there are lots of other people out there who will tell you how great broadcast news is. I don't know what to say that hasn't been said a million times, but if you haven't seen it, check it out. If it's been a while since you've seen it, I think uh, it would pair really well with this movie uh, and is always worth checking out. It's one I go back to every few years. Our third hot take of the of the episode. Broadcast, broadcast news. news, good. Good, <laughs> good. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Broadcast News is a fantastic movie and so... So, you know, anchored by three all-time performances. And yeah, James L. Brooks uh, on Taxi. He was yeah, he, taxi, he so. the there. And, um, and I can see where this, maybe they thought they were making a broadcast news type movie with the air traffic control. And they just don't get there. But I could see this movie definitely maybe being kind of on that log line of, hey, let's do broadcast news, but at an air traffic control. But I think the problem is, is that that has a real kind of interesting the, the romantic opponent in that is much more interesting than here where yeah. it, it, it's just odd. And the, you know, we didn't fully talk about it, but the cheating on your wife thing just really goes, you know, south yeah. and it's uncomfortable and it doesn't fully lead to anything other than just really bad and, and makes you go like, yeah, no, Russell's right to like, not like you if he doesn't. Yeah, and they're so separate too, right. In this idea that, like there's the romantic part outside of the workplace and then there's the workplace comedy stuff and broadcast news keeps it all in one world, right? It's everything revolves around the workplace. And so, you know, maybe bring Angelina Jolie in to be an air traffic controller and you have a much more interesting movie, maybe. I'm, I'm for that. Uh, so my recommendation is a little different. Uh, I went to another John Cusack movie and I, I would say a much better John Cusack comedy from the 90s. And that is Gross Point Blank, which is, I, I feel like now, not as appreciated enough in terms yeah. of like a major yeah. cultural, like I don't think the cultural footprint of Gross Point Blank is as much as it was. 
No, I saw that in the theater. I haven't seen that since the theater. So um, yeah, see that one when it came out. It is such a good movie. And he is so good Mm -hmm. in it as a hitman who is going back to his high school reunion. But obviously, no one in his high school knows what he does. And his now life starts bleeding into what's happening over the weekend. He is reconnecting with a woman who he had a big crush on in high school, played by Minnie Driver. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is in it. Joan Cusack is in it. It is such a fun and delightful movie and such a mm-hmm. better out-and-out comedy than this film. Yeah, definitely. I, I recommend that. I'm going to have to add that back to my watch list because, again, I haven't seen that since it came out in the theaters 25 yeah. years ago. So and, yeah. it, and it was a movie that also had a big soundtrack, I feel like, also was like a big soundtrack movie. Mm-hmm. Back when soundtracks yeah. were such a bigger deal of like, we're going to put this collection of songs together. I feel like that soundtrack really kind of also became like a bigger thing. On a CD, and then we could maybe put the CD in our car if we had a fancy new car with a CD player. Man. Well, or just we used a, to be a society. I would have made a cassette tape of that CD and put that in my in my, in my my tape player. But there we yeah. go. We used to be a society, Trip. We used to be a society. Uh, so, so, Trip, we're looking... You're looking at your letterbox, you're looking at those gray stars, and you're thinking about what you're putting down for this movie. What is your final rating for Pushing Tin? I keep guessing on the average, and I think this, I'm just going to put it right on the average. It's like a two and a half star, maybe three star movie in there. It's fine. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it. Um, There might be some parts I want to go back and watch on, you know, YouTube sometime, but overall... um, nothing really stood out of this movie for me too much. What about you? I'm exactly the same way. I have it at two and a half. I don't think it's it's funny enough for me to give it that kind of thing. It's also kind of long. It's a two-hour movie. It's two hours. Yeah, it definitely feel feels that way. Yeah, so I, I can't fully give it that kind of like three-star where you're like, oh, okay, it's a breezy watch, whatever. It is longer. There is enough here in terms of performances to really make it interesting. So yeah, I'm with you. It's like two and a half to borderline three, but it's still a two and a half for me, I think, because of that. Um, And I think the excitement of me when I turned it on and seeing some of these actors and seeing the Charles brothers' name on there and seeing Mike Newell, I really thought, oh, maybe we found another one of these gems, but this is no blast from the past, Ross. Um, but maybe, maybe that gem will come next week. So what are you showing me next week, Ross? Trip. It's going to be when this episode comes out in October, this next one. Ooh. And there's no better way to start spooky season than our next week's movie. It is Idle Hands, which is available to rent as of when we're recording this on Amazon, Apple TV, or YouTube. Trip, do you know anything about the movie Idle Hands? I know it by name only. And is this a comedy? Like, I did not think this was a comedy. I, in my mind, it's in that like late 90s kind of horror genre. I don't know why I would have grouped this with those movies like, uh, like Existence or In Dreams. Was that a movie? It's kind of the horror is not my thing, Ross. And so I had clumped it with those. I had no idea this was a comedy. And so I am uh, a little confused about all of this. I have no idea what to expect. Uh, but if it's a, if it's a funny movie, maybe I'm expecting some sort of like, um, 
army of darkness type thing with like uh someone who loses control of their hands like their hands have a mind of their own and start killing people um in in slapsticky three stooges like ways i would i would go for that yeah uh so to answer your question yes it is a a comedy it is definitely okay. more of like a horror comedy so okay. it is uh you know it, it's an mtv-ish film but it definitely seems to be more am i going to be able to handle this as a non-horror person i should set up at uh this summer when the haunted mansion movie came out the family went to see that and by my kids score i jumped eight times during the haunted mansion so our level will be will i jump scare more or less than the haunted mansion i guess watching idle hands that's a great question um, I don't have an answer for you because I also have not actually seen this. Um, oh, okay. But if it makes you feel any better, as the first, I happened to pull this up at IMDb, the first trivia thing for it is this is the same hand that appears in the Adams family in 1991 as Thing. It's magician oh. Christopher Hart plays, I guess, the hand. Um, so that you know, it has continued guess. to confuse me as to what it's what it's about. Maybe it's just the killer hand. Maybe it's just like the, so the. I do like the Adams Family movie, so there we yeah. Go. And so this is more of a teen movie. So we'll we'll see we'll see how you do. We'll we'll see next week how you're able to handle uh, Idle Hands. Uh, so our our uh, our listeners, as always, again, you can rent it on Amazon, Apple TV, or YouTube, or you could try to find uh, a physical media copy of this through your local library because we support yeah. physical media. I bet the DVD of Idle Hands has good extra features on there. Maybe I'll have I, to I, see it's if I can track great, one of those down. It's got yeah, to be something menu. good on there. Got to have um, a great. In TV the meantime, <laughs> uh, in the meantime, if you want to make fun of me for being so scared at the Haunted Mansion movie, uh, you can uh, find me on social media platforms at Trip Burton Thirteen. Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd, where you can read my reviews of these movies. And you can find me on Twitter or X or however we want to call this website that exists there. Uh, and on Letterboxd, at R. Bratton. Uh, the show is on all those social media platforms at ATTCPod. Uh, you can also email us. That's a trip through comedy at gmail.com. That's trip with two Ps. And on whatever platform you're listening to, seems like people use all sorts of different ones out there. If you can leave us a five-star rating uh, or even better, a review, it really helps people find the show. And we'd love to expand our base and reach out to some new people. Absolutely. Our theme music is So Alive Instrumental by John Worthy Music. You can find his work at the Free Music Archive or wherever you listen to music. And as always, we will see you farther along down the road. I've left some casseroles in the fridge for you.